We have hit a point in our podcast where I'd like to open up the box. I mean, there's obviously Lean and Six Sigma, Operational Excellence, or any kind of continuous improvement. I, I feel that our listeners can or have more content or contributions to provide us and maybe even enlighten some of the listeners on how they feel about certain topics, just not what we think about those things. So if we could get a brave soul willing to come on the podcast, would love to hear of unique ways that people have used maybe a different tool, best practice, or even better, a lesson learned from maybe a poor execution of a tool. Go to our website, www.esuccess-methods.com. Click on the button that says call for content. Let us know what you'd like to share. Welcome to the E-Success Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical worlds of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 162, part three of our project schedule planning series, we continue again with the Agile or Scrum way. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast, Table of Contents at esuccess-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. What Agile then forces your, I would say what Scrum then forces you to do is, hey, this particular time you estimated the story or you failed because you didn't get this done when you thought you were going to get it done mm-hmm. because your assumptions that you made were pretty poor. How are you going to make sure that the next time your assumptions are corrected or you're getting into much more details so that this is not repeated again. It okay. forces you to go back and confirm those things. Got it. So that's basically how estimations done in an agile world or in a scrum world, I should say, not necessarily agile. I misuse that term. Right. Yeah. Um, and the thing I would highlight is then why should it be done this way? Why should, why is it encouraged to do relative estimation and why should the team be doing it? Well, let me let me ask you this before you move on to that. You know, you now you've got a list of of uh, what we call stories, which is the smallest you've been able to break the work down into mm-hmm. and and estimate complexity. Mm-hmm. Now, are these stories all added up and and we say, okay, now we've got you know a hundred points of complexity to get through in these next two weeks? Yep. Okay. No, no, no. There's another step. That's not the estimation part. Okay. So, now, basically, you're saying, hey, of all the things that's sitting for us to complete, there is 100 points worth of work. Mm-hmm. How much is our team willing to commit to to getting done? Okay, so this is like, um, is this on the epic level? I'm trying to get my jargon down, or is this? It's at any level. Doesn't any matter. Level. Any level. Okay. Any level. So that so, could still be broken down and cross multiple multiple sprints if it if it yep. looks large. Yep. Okay. So then the question comes, okay, we as a team are comfortable only doing 10 points in a sprint. And mm-hmm. our backlog is showing 100 points. So basically now you can make a rough prediction to stakeholders. This is going to take us about 10 sprints, guys. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at, and depending on what your sprint size is, this is going to take that much time. Keep so we are bringing it back to real-world time yep. estimates at some point. At some point. Because okay. at the end of the day, as much as we say that we don't want to compare it to real-world time, that's what our stakeholders understand. In right. many cases, that's what our clients are asking us, when will you have this available for me? So you have to equate it or you have to make some sort of prediction with time. But, so say say your first time through, uh-huh. you, you've you uh, – and I've got a few questions on this. Yeah. Um, your first time through, you, your estimates are not quite correct. solid, not mm-hmm. quite correct, mm-hmm. right? Do you just start changing – the amount of points you can handle in a sprint, or do you recalibrate your um, 
estimation method? You could go either way. I, I typically tend to change what I commit to. So say, for example, we were assuming that we could do 10 points a sprint. Mm-hmm. But over the last three sprints, we've been doing only eight points a sprint. So then I would say, hey, you know what? Reality is we can only do eight points a sprint. Right. So let's let's make sure that our stakeholders or others are understanding that, you know, we might have to add a couple more sprints for to getting this body of work done. Mm-hmm. Or we can ask the question, if that time is still fixed, which of these features or tasks can we take out so it's not as critical and we can still get the work done within the time you wanted it? Okay. So then it becomes a discussion at that point. Now, when you're going through, they say you've got the the votes between the uh, complexity of two versus mm-hmm. a complexity of eight, and you're having that discussion. Mm-hmm. Now, and you're, I can see it going both ways, uh, a couple ways. Like, uh, you know, one of my first impressions was that, hey, if you if you ask a bunch of engineers to estimate how hard this is going to be uh, from an outside looker or a business person the engineer is always going to overestimate the complexity. Um, mm-hmm. But then it, I could see it going the other way where details are missed in the voting process by somebody and they underestimate the complexity. So which direction do you see uh, after things are renegotiated? Uh, which direction do you see them usually being the the winner going to it's more complex than we thought or is it us- is it ever voted down to say, no, it's not as hard as you thought? Uh, I've seen it go both ways. Okay. Uh, I don't know if there is a, like, I think it's typically who has more knowledge about it. It, it skews towards what that person's estimate is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in many cases, or who is more convincing, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> loudest voice. <laughs> yeah, loudest voice or who has the strongest opinion on certain things. It It does tend to that a little bit. But at the end of the day, this is where, again, you need, for this to be successful, you need a good team dynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's if everybody just listens to the loudest voice, then you might as well just have the loudest voice do the estimate. Okay. Um, so that's where you need to have a very good functional cohesive team who is comfortable sharing information and taking necessary feedback and adjusting as needed. So that adjusting as needed sounds like because because really we're talking you're still talking an estimation and you're talking some sort of measurement scale that even though it's not exactly based in time. It's still a fuzzy calibration between all the members. So yep. what are the challenges you have and and uh, what techniques are there to overcome those? So, again, you know, this comes down to what I started it off with. You know, what are we doing estimations for? Mm-hmm. We're doing so that we can have a rough idea on what amount of work we and our team should commit to uh, for a particular time window based on the resources that we have. And it also comes down to when can we predict some sort of completion date to our stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Now, the further out the dates are, the higher level of uncertainty it is. The closer the dates are, you're hoping that you are much more likely to hit those. So if you have a huge body of work that's sitting in the backlog, as you use the terminology there, then it means that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll give you whatever date you want to hear now, but, you know, is definitely a risk because who knows if the team's going to remain the same, if the resources are going to change, if this is going to be available. The uncertainty is really, really high when you have that much amount of work to predict on. But when it's a much more smaller amount of work left, then my certainty is going to be a lot higher. Did that kind of answer your question? 
Yeah, well, when I guess, you know, because still at the end of the day, you're going to be judged on whether or not you hit what you predicted you would hit. Yep. And I, and I imagine deadlines are still missed. So, so the difference is, yes, deadlines are missed, but you're not waiting till the last minute to announce that. Mm-hmm. And what the what the scheduling helps you understand is, hey, I was predicting that I would can get 10 done a sprint. So that's why I printed to 10 sprints. But you know what? I'm only operating at eight or our capacity is only at eight. So we are going to need 12 and a half sprints. So pretty soon enough, you can come back and say, well, we need at least two more sprints more than what we originally thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And And you're telling that in like, sprint two or sprint three rather than waiting till sprint eight or sprint nine to let all the stakeholders know, by the way, we might, there is a risk of this not being done. So one of the things in the traditional method is to uh, estimate as much of the tasks up front, you know, Mm -hmm. from beginning to end, how much do you take on in agile to plan out? You don't take beginning to end, but how, but you don't, but you don't just take, sprint by sprint. So how much do you take into account for this uh, estimation sort of event? Yeah, so it's a great question, right? So I don't, two things. One, especially in the software delivery world, mm-hmm. you don't want to estimate things out which are so far out because chances are the requirements or the needs might change. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to sit on a whole bunch of, you don't want to spend all the time estimating things, right? which might never even get done. Mm-hmm. Right. So just from that, you know, and if you think of it, it's traditional waste, it's inventory. You spent all the time writing the story, estimating it, and it went nowhere. You know, if you think about lean, it's your 101 waste, right? Inventory, mm-hmm. and you, you did over-processing or over-things on that, which you don't need. Right. So from that aspect, Traditionally, what I recommend is you need about two months of work. For the next two months, you need to have a rough idea on what it is. So depending on what your sprint cycle is, if it's a two-week sprint, you need to have the next three to four sprints pretty much in shape estimated. So you have a rough idea on what's coming down the pipe. So you also have to have a rough idea looking at the, uh, I don't know what the terminology is, but whatever the product manager is saying, Mm -hmm. somebody has to have a rough idea of how much is you know, I'll say four or five sprints worth. Yep. And and, and again, th- th- this is one of the biggest reasons why you want to keep team members consistent. Mm-hmm. Because if you keep changing the team members, then the skill set within the team is moving up and down. How we estimate, we all have to figure out what is our relative base. All those things move back and forth. And then you again can't get to some level of consistency within the team. Right. So the more the teams that you have that stay together longer, mm-hmm. the estimates become much more tighter. The team understands how to work with each other. They figure it all out. And chances are their estimates are much more tighter and closer to reality than a brand new team starting together. So what needs to happen, though, is the all this work needs to be broken down beforehand and, and say all the work is broken down and you get into a room and all of a sudden, oh, we've got 100, let's stop estimating. We've got 100 points, let's stop estimating, let's get to work. You could you could call pause at that point. Yep. Um, but all that is is uh, predicated on things being broken down before you get to there. And I think you told me at some point who's responsible for that, but how does that work get done, get broken down that way beforehand? 
So, great question. It can happen in two, three different ways. First is, you know, the product manager or the product owner is working with the technical manager or technical owner uh, who is giving some sort of idea. Hey, this is a really big story. Let's find a way to break this down into smaller chunks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, for some reason, let's say if that didn't happen and the product owner has no idea how to break it down, the product owner will bring the story into a estimation meeting and the team will say, hey, you know what? This is a really big story. Here's how maybe we should consider splitting this into different things so that we can get some functionality out of it each time we break it down. Now, okay. that's where the team helps it. And that's pretty much more common. And a lot of teams have set rules in place to say, hey, you know what? For us, at least this is what we do in our team is any story that's uh, in one of the teams I work with, any story that's more than eight points worth, if mm-hmm. the team is estimating more than eight points worth, it is too big. So we have to find a way that to break that story smaller. And the reason why is an eight-point story, if you equate it to look at it, it's probably going to take you the entire sprint to complete right. amongst everybody. So which means if something goes wrong, you are at a big risk for not being able to complete that story in the sprint. Yeah, you're, cre- you're creating a critical path yes. within that sprint already. Yeah, Exactly. So how can you reduce that completely is what the question mm-hmm. becomes. Okay. And in many cases, the team will give that feedback and then the product owner goes back and thinks on how exactly to break it. Or the team itself might have suggestions. Why don't we do it this way or that way? And let's, let's just get that done. Okay. You are listening to E6S Methods Podcast brought to you by E6S Industries. Join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you see any organization that claims to be the one certifying body, they are lying. There is no such thing. The only way to judge the quality of a certificate is by the capabilities of those who have earned a certificate from that institution. There are some that are very good and there are some that are very, very bad. And because you are a listener to the podcast, you should be able to trust that we, Jacob and I, know what we're doing. I personally have trained over 1,200 students in the body of knowledge. Go to e6s-methods.com slash bb2017 with the password, all lowercase, e6s-bb2017. Fill out the application, start looking for some certification projects, be ready to learn. What other questions come to your mind? (laughs) Dozens now, like you know, I'm I'm thinking about how these things in traditional method will flow into say a Gantt chart, but this this wouldn't necessarily flow into a Gantt chart or any kind of timeline, at least not within a sprint. Nope, and certainly not even outside of a sprint. I mean, we're just so, talking. So you're you're going to a different level now, <laughs> yeah. Uh, because what do you need the Gantt chart for? Again, that's that's to well, it's it's to tell you. A, when you're going to commit to complete, and so you can track uh, progress along the way. Yep. So, you're, and this is very true, right? So, what happens typically is the product owner has a relative roadmap that he or she's put together that needs to, you know, this is what the, we need to get to, or this is what we, these features are what we're planning to release in the next coming quarters. So, you can always connect to that to see, are we on track to meet that? Right. Uh, the other option, which typically is, is, you know, at the end of every sprint, you can review how is the progress being made towards the roadmap. You can look at how is, you know, in general, we wanted to get these 10 features out. How are we hitting that milestone? Or you can also look at, you know, what are the other things that we were able to accomplish as a part of this and what did we get for free? All right. Well, I, I think we will leave it there. And um, it, it's uh, another way of estimating. And-, and, and, you know, and if done right, 
this is actually very easy. You're not getting into the details of hours or minutes or days. You're basically saying, yeah, it's a relative complexity too. We understand what that is. Um, by having that number, it makes us and our team very comfortable saying, yep, we are able to do 10. So let's pick you know, enough work that adds up to 10 or that adds up to 11. And we are comfortable committing to that. And at the end of the sprint, we will make sure that we do 11. And if for some reason we overestimated, uh, we can always take the 12th story and start working on it. Or if we underestimated, then you know, we learn from that and we figure out what do we do better next time. Right, and in the 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 beauty of it is you get to pivot uh, rather early. If you yes. if you've been overzealous in your estimations, rather than going back through and trying to do some sort of correction factor to all of your uh, estimates uh, on a waterfall, uh, you say, okay, well, next time we're out, we'll we'll we're, we're we're automatically calibrating to each other better just because of how we've been working together, and yep. that's you know part of st- storming norming. Uh, and performing and and that's really why you want to stable teams is to stay in that performing zone uh, for as long as you can so unlike what might happen in another project if things are working behind sometimes we'll bring in another resource you know and we'll crash the project and we'll try to put as many folks on it as possible i'm imagining that that would actually could actually be quite disruptive in a stable team environment Yes, very much. Actually, uh, adding resources in a in an agile world is actually painful because now you have to train the other person. Everybody else has to figure out how to work with that new person. You're basically going back to forming all over again because now you have a new individual or group of individuals who you have to now figure out how do they fit in. You mm-hmm. know, what's that person's role in this team and how does that how does that influence what I'm doing in the team? And you need you go through all that. So what's interesting is that in order to create some flexibility in the projects you need to pretty much remove flexibility from resource allocation uh yes and no so you know rather so how i would how i would think about that more is uh rather than moving individuals around Mm -hmm. i would consider bringing an entire other squad together and saying, hey, it's not just one squad working on this. Let's double the efforts and let's get a second squad who is all knowing on how to work with each other. They already have their norms on, you know, they've basically added that performing team. Let's add this project on to them as well. Okay. And ideal scenario is that's probably the best way to do it. But So some, some parallel sprints. Yep. Got or it. multiple people working on the same project. And you divvy it up in such a way that they're not in each other's way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, this this particular issue which we're talking about right now is one of the biggest challenges that's going in an agile world. And I don't think it's a challenge. I think it's uh, something that different people are experimenting and trying to define how to be in that space. They call it scaling agile. So right. in many cases, it's just not a case for one team who's doing the work. There's about 20 teams who are contributing for a product to be successful. And how does how do you coordinate amongst all these 20 teams so that you can get them there. So that's interesting because I, I just saw that um, today. The uh, a they were this company was looking for a somebody certified in safe, and I had to look yes. that up. Right, scaling yes. agile, scaled agile framework is what it's called. Framework, okay. Uh, so that is one of the companies uh, that are existing out there and trying to build that framework. It it becomes 
you know, my personal opinion is it looks very bureaucratic at that point. It it becomes a process. They're trying to make it a process and trying to add checks and gates and balances for it. Uh, I feel it. I, <laughs> I feel it takes away a little bit of the flexibility that Agile is trying to bring. But it's it, it's it, that would remove the autonomy that's necessary. Yeah, it removes the autonomy that's necessary. But in some cases, for how teams are structured or how how things are delivered, you might need that in hmm. some organization. So um, uh, it, it completely depends on how are you structured and how are you working. So is that different than what would be a program manager or a program office? Sounds uh, like it would be. It, the it leverages the concepts of the program office yeah. and how to connect all those things together. So right. SAFE is one of them. There's another one called Enterprise Scrum, uh, which is more at an organization level. How do you run Scrum? Different, different folks and different, different theories are being published right now on how to handle it. SAFE's been around for about, I want to say, seven, eight years, if not more. So they are one of the more established ones that's trying to get into that space. Now, I imagine that actually something like that comes up because not because it's hard to necessarily um, have agile work uh, with a autonomous team, but more likely as a uh, mid-level stepping stone between bureaucratic PMO to a more agile uh, approach. And maybe, maybe that safe way is somewhere in between that people can make a bit of a transition without it being as disruptive as going from straight from water, waterfall to agile. And I've heard some terms like scrum fall and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so I don't, I don't actually think it is a, a stepping stone from one to the other. Okay. Um, I actually, my experience is it is, it is an evolution for organizations that are trying to be in a scrum world or an agile world and how can they get the entire organization to collaborate to get to it. So say for example, you know, AT&T decides to go in a scrum world. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the mobile app team is already in scrum, but they have to work with the sales team who is not in scrum and they have to work with the finance team who is not working in scrum. And this is just a crazy example how can they all be in sync so the client at the end of the day is getting the same output? Mm. So well, I would the have same- thought that it wouldn't work if, if, uh, if, if say you're, if it is in scrum, but uh, marketing and sales is not, doesn't that just put a bunch of work out of it that waits before yes. sales? I mean, yes. And, and, you know, and this is a very, uh, very hypothetical situation, but I can yeah, yeah. I can show you know I like s- simple cases, right? Like if you look at it, um, take, pick any of your apps, your Facebook app, right? Mm-hmm. Your Facebook app has your newsfeed section, your messenger section, your uh, you know your uh, check-in section, all these different sections, which I can bet you for the most part are most likely going to be different independent squads working on them, right? Mm-hmm. And to make this app live, all these teams need to be coordinated so that okay. if I make a change here, that doesn't break what you're doing. That makes sense. Okay. And how do you all stay together on the same cycle or on the same sort of a, you know, you're working on the same platform for all you know, and you're trying to not break each other. Right. So that just manages the ultra complexity. Yes. And that's what, 
uh, that's what some of the safe and other things are trying to get to. Okay. Hopefully that makes now, better sense. Now, I, have you ever heard of, um, and I came across this, but it seemed to be uh, related. It's more in the construction field. It's called uh, Last Planner. No, I have not. So essentially, it comes out of construction, but it, it does model a lot of what you're talking about with the task estimation f- for Agile, uh, mostly in the, in the point that it's actually got to be done. The task estimation has to be done by the folks who do the work uh, in that manner. So there is there is a little bit of a model, and they, they say there it's kind of a lean project management estimation so i, I just i was just, i heard about it the other day i was wondering if you had heard about it and um mm, I, I might take a look so it's last it's called last planners by lean construction Inst- institute um i'm going to take a look and see if there's anything uh, more interesting there at a later date but um yeah so it, it's not it's not um unheard of that hey we can't keep brainstorming these things you know uh, sitting in front of a computer and just making things up uh, every uh, software and construction industry has realized that that waterfall it's not it's not necessarily because of waterfall but that method of task estimation up front by a single person just doesn't work mm-hmm. yeah i mean you're, you're not necessarily considering all the you know as much as experience or background that individual has they're still not sure you know who are we going to contract this to or who is the one who's going to do this work? What is their capacity like? What is their strengths like? How do they handle it? It's always better if that team is able to do it. And that's kind of what I alluded to is why it's best done by the team by itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So hopefully that was uh, enlightening if anybody was interested in why relative estimation is is relatively better than uh, <laughs> absolute estimation because – uh, you know, you're at this. You're one not trying to spend too much time to get through the nitty-gritty details on the exact time and thing. You're more bucketing it into one of those categories and then moving on, and it'll help you get through things much faster. And if it doesn't, if you, if you get it wrong, you just pivot and you and you you adjust. You adjust exactly. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Jacob. Awesome. Thanks everyone for listening. And if you have questions, please feel free to reach out to us or me. All right contact us through the website or through linkedin or through linkedin that's right awesome all right thanks Thanks. jacob bye-bye thanks for listening to episode 162 of the e-success methods podcast don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes tap clicked on if you have a question comment or advice leave a note in the comment section or contact us directly feel free to email me aaron a-a-r-o-n at e-success-methods.com or on our website we reply to all messages want to join our linkedin group just click the link Start your own discussion or join one that's already there. If you heard something you like, then clamor and share it with a friend, 24 seconds at a time. Don't forget you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you're not climbing up, you're falling down. <laughs>